Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Very important lesson there. The more kids you have, the more roses you get. Um, (laughs) um, Heather, thank you so much for leading our kids. Um, It's so great to always have our kids up here. Um, serving in our worship services. Um, you've done a great job leading them. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be in the end of the chapter, so it's a long chapter, so if you have to turn the page, it's, we're going to start in verse 50. We are um, concluding. We've been in, since uh, March, we've been talking about salvation, we've been talking about all those things that happen when we get saved and all the things that come in the days after that, and we conclude that today um, as we finish up. It has been 21 years since the movie Shrek came out. The movie hit theaters 2001. That means there are babies being born today whose parents were not alive when Shrek came out. It's just crazy how the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Okay, about 15 of you have seen the movie Shrek to understand that joke. So allow me to uh, tell you the plot of the movie. I would tell you spoiler alert, but if you, you've had 21 years to see the movie, so it's on you if it's ruined after this. So Shrek takes classic fairy tales and um, like the three little bears and Little Red Riding Hood and the gingerbread man and all of those, it puts them in a world together. They're all in the world together. The main character is an ogre named Shrek. Um, He is forced by the king of far, far away to rescue Princess Fiona from a tower guarded by a fire-breathing dragon. Princess Fiona is in that tower because she was locked there as a child after a witch cast a spell on her. All the typical fairy tale stuff. So Shrek goes to rescue her with the help of the best character of the movie, a talking donkey. Upon rescuing, upon taking her back to far, far away, Shrek falls in love with her. But there's a problem. He's an ogre, and she's a human. What comes to be revealed is that the curse that is on Fiona is that when the sun goes down, she turns into an ogre until the sun comes back up. The the only way for that curse to be broken is for her to kiss her true love. Again, all the classic fairy tale stuff. What happens, though, when she falls in love with an ogre named Shrek? Well, after a lot of conflict, she reveals the curse to Shrek, and she chooses Shrek as her true love, and they kiss. And in a climatic moment, the curse breaks, and she is lifted up in the air by magic, and her entire body begins to glow in majesty, and she is transformed. The curse is lifted, but she's transformed into the form of her true love, an ogre. Shrek and Fiona get married, and they live happily ever 
after. One of the reasons I love movies, I can always find a parallel to the gospel in them. And because of our receiving Christ, the curse of sin is lifted from us, and we are transformed. That happens in the spiritual sense first. That's what we've been talking about since March. We're regenerated. We're given a new heart with a new spirit. We're baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're united to Christ. We are then sanctified as we walk with him along the journey. But one day we will have what happened um, in a much more glorious sense. What happened to Princess Fiona will happen to us. We will be lifted up and transformed into another form. There will be a day when we are hoisted up and glory fills our body and we are physically transformed. When the curse of death that is on our body will be lifted from it forever and we will be changed. We conclude talking about salvation, talking about what our salvation is building toward. Eternal life and heaven with God. Or as the Bible and and creeds of the church have so often referred to it, the resurrection from the dead. So 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to start in verse 50, read through the end of the chapter. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15 is a glorious chapter. Even before what we read, I encourage you to go back and read the entire chapter as it all deals with what we're talking about, but it climaxes in that final part. Simple thing, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, he says. There was a heresy in the church in the early days, in the first century, second century. There was a heresy that cropped up um, because of certain Greek philosophy that was um, infiltrating the church. It was this philosophy, this, this heresy that the human body is bad, that the body we live in is bad. The body's bad, our soul is the only good thing, and so don't worry about your body, after all, It's just a shell that your soul lives in. And the church dealt with that heresy, but the fact is, that heresy still exists in the minds of many Christians in America. You see it in life, and you see it in death. You see it in life, the way Christians do not take care of their body by living a healthy lifestyle. And you see it in death, where I have been to countless funerals where I've been told that the person, by by the person speaking from the stage, that that isn't the person in the casket. It's just a shell that their soul used to live in. It's true that those people are with God, but it's not true that their body is just the shell that their soul lived in and that their soul is all of who they are. No, 
God made Adam in the garden. You remember Genesis 2? He created Adam. He called him Adam before Adam had a soul. God reached down and breathed the breath of life into Adam. That was him giving him his soul. He called him Adam before that. God breathed that soul into him. The Bible teaches that we are both a body and a soul. We're not only a soul that just happens to live in a body. We are both a body and a soul. You're not just a soul that is going to shed your body and leave it behind forever one day. The, the Bible teaches that we are what's called a dichotomy. Our body and our soul are both of who we are. This is probably going to be um, eye-opening to you, maybe a little confusing to you. I've been praying all morning, Lord, please help them understand this when I'm, when I'm telling them about it. You are both a body and a soul. Your body is who you are just as much as your soul is. So something very strange happens when we die. Because we are both our body and our soul, something very strange happens when we die. When we die, well, first of all, when we die, we don't go to the, to, to the heaven that we'll live in forever. We go to what the theologians call the intermediate state. It's not the eternal kingdom we read about in Revelation 21 and 22. That hasn't come yet. Jesus will bring that when he comes. We go to the presence of Christ and live there with him. That's where our soul goes. Until Jesus comes, when we die... We go to a very strange phenomenon of an existence. I want to say this up front so you don't get confused and discouraged. Your saved loved ones who have died are with Jesus. They do not know suffering anymore. They're no longer in pain. They know complete joy. However, they're not fully what they will be one day. They're disembodied right now. They are separate from their body at the moment. That body goes into the ground it is not just a shell they are casting off. It is part of who they are. It goes into the ground. Their soul goes to be with Jesus. There's a separation that happens. That body that goes into the ground is half of who they are. We are a union of body and soul. We exist as both of them. So what happens at death is that that union is separated. It's separated. Our soul is with Jesus. Our body is buried in the ground. It's not a shell that has no meaning. It really is us, but only part of us. If we're saved, part of us goes to be with Jesus when we die. Our conscious existence is with Jesus. Our body is in the ground. Why get so technical about this? Because it helps you understand the glory of what will happen when Jesus comes. At death, our body and our soul are separated for a time. When Jesus comes, that separation is over. It's back together. Currently, Christians who have died are in this very strange existence where part of them is with Jesus and part of them is in the ground. It's an existence that only happens in this time. We're a union of body and soul in life. We're a union of body and soul in eternity. But in the in-between, when we're dead, the union is separated. We're disembodied. But one day, that union will be brought back together. This is why this passage says what it does in verse 50. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Why does it say that? Because your flesh and blood are corrupted by sin. Sin cannot enter God's presence without being consumed. Remember what happens in our salvation. Our spirit has to die. That's what union with Christ is. We, we are buried with him in baptism. We're raised to walk in the newness of life. Our soul has to die and be raised to life so it can enter God's presence. The body has to have the same thing happen to it. One day, our body will die, and the sin in us will die with it, 
and then when Jesus comes, he will raise our body to life, leaving the sin in the grave, so that our body can live in his presence. This is what will happen when Jesus comes, when history comes to an end. Talks about this in verses 51 through 57. Jesus is going to return. He will return on the last day in history. That's what scripture constantly says, that on the last day, everyone's going to be raised to life. After God has accomplished everything he plans to accomplish in history, he will send his son to earth again. The clouds will open. He will descend. Notice how it describes it. It's a mystery, verse 51. It's a mystery. A mystery. Anytime you see the word mystery in scripture, just know it's a, it means it's something that's been concealed up to now, but now it's finally revealed. You've finally been told this is what it's about. This is what's going to happen. He says, we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. That is, the body of those who've died in Christ are sleeping. Their body is sleeping, their souls with Jesus, but us who are alive are not sleeping. We're still awake. There will be Christians alive when Jesus comes, and we will experience the same transformation even if we haven't died yet. It will be quick, it says. Notice it says it's in the twinkling of an eye. Not even a blink. It's not the blink of an eye. Just a twinkle. That's how quick. It won't be something you can capture on camera when it happens. Nobody will have their phone out trying to catch a video of it. It'll be too quick for that to happen. Jesus comes, and suddenly, without even a moment to notice, the bodies come out of the grave, and Christians who are alive are caught up into the clouds. All of us are transformed. Jesus brings with him the souls of those who have died and the union of their body and their soul are restored. They're finally back to their body and soul being united again. And we are always with the Lord. It happens at, notice the last trumpet, the last trumpet implying there's trumpets that come before it. So what could that possibly mean? We have different people say different things. I think um, it it calls over to um, Revelation chapter 10 and 11. 9, 10, and 11, I believe, focusing on chapter 11, there are seven trumpets that come on the earth. Um, Some people in their end times view would say these are just judgments that happen during the end times. I think they are describing all of human history, seven trumpets that God blasts out, warning people, repent of your sins and come to me. There's a lot of stuff in the text to tell you that, and it concludes with the seventh trumpet, chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The 24 elders who sat on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath has come, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for the destroying, the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was open, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake and heavy hail. We come to the final trumpet, the last trumpet the lord begins to reign and the dead are raised to be judged and the destroyers are destroyed that that's the last trumpet it's the last one it comes and the resurrection happens notice next our bodies are changed the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised 
This is the end goal of our salvation, being raised from the dead, never to die again, ever. Every believer in history will be raised, and they will never die again. All of your loved ones buried out there in that cemetery, they're going to rise, be raised to life, and never die again. Mother's Day is hard for some of you. Your mother has passed. Take hope. If your mother knew Christ, she's going to rise. Your spouses that you miss so much, if they're saved, they will rise. Your friends, your former, the former church members that you served beside in this place, they're going to rise. Your ancestors that you never met, but God did wonderful things in their life as they followed Jesus, they're going to rise. Every great preacher from history, Charles Spurgeon and George Whitfield and Martin Luther and Billy Graham and Martin Lloyd-Jones, they're going to rise. You know what the crazy thing is, though? There's probably hundreds of preachers that have lived in history that were better preachers than Billy Graham and Charles Spurgeon, and you've never heard of them because God didn't give them the platform that he gave to Billy and Charles. They were nobodies. They pastored their church of 75 people. They preached the word faithfully. They loved their congregation. They died. They were forgotten. Nobody ever wrote a biography about them. None of their sermons were recorded. They were just faithful to Christ to the very end. And you're going to meet them one day. And you're going to find out about all their faithful labor. Every hymn writer that ever lived is going to rise. They're going to jump up out of the grave singing the songs they wrote to Jesus face to face. They're going to sing, Great is thy faithfulness. And when I survey the wondrous cross and Christ the Lord is risen today, they're going to join in an eternal choir that sings that song. Every missionary, every prayer warrior, they're going to rise. Every godly mother that gave her life to being a stay-at-home mom to raise and disciple her children to know Jesus when the world is telling them they're wasting their life and they need to pursue a career, those women are going to rise. Every senior saint that served their church behind the scenes in, in the church and was never recognized for it, they're going to rise. Every believer who held fast to Christ in intense persecution, they're going to rise. Every faithful follower of Jesus from all of history and in all the world are going to rise. We're going to have no end of seeing God's faithfulness in story after story from people's lives. It's going to be glorious. That is what happens at the resurrection of the dead at the last day. There's a change that happens. Notice he says, um, we shall all be changed at the end of verse 52, we shall be changed. We will all be changed. If Jesus comes before we die, our bodies will be changed just as much as if he comes after we've died. Each of us, like Princess Fiona, are going to be lifted up into the clouds by the glory of Christ, and his power will fill our bodies, and we will be radiant with transformation, and we will be changed. Our perishable body will put on the imperishable, whether we are 30 years old, 85-year-old, or if we have been in the ground for 200 years, we're going to be changed. The perishable will put on the imperishable. Remember, our body's not a shell. It's half of who we are. Our body, the body I'm opening my mouth with right now and preaching to you with, will not be discarded. God will transform this body I'm in right now to be imperishable. He will make my body and your body to no longer be sinful no longer drawn to temptation, 
No longer tempted to get angry when someone wrongs me. No longer drawn away from Jesus to, to, to worldly pleasure. No longer embittered. No longer downcast. No completely joyful, completely holy, completely devoted to Christ. Not a single sinful inclination. He'll make our body and your body, my body and your body no longer dying. So no, long, no more muscle aches. No more sleep apnea. No more high blood pressure. No more arthritis, no more chronic illness, no more Alzheimer's or cancer, no more children's hospitals. Tift Regional Medical Center will go out of business, Mayo Clinic will go out of business, physical therapy and rehab centers will go out of business, funeral homes will go out of business. None of these places are going to be needed. As the song we sang that we introduced, the lame will walk in glory land, the blind up there will see, the deaf in glory land will hear, the mute will talk to me, death will be destroyed, gone. That's the hope of the resurrection of the dead. That, that's what Paul goes on to talk about in 54 through 57. Death is going to get destroyed. Scripture is going to get fulfilled. He quotes um, two passages there in verses 54 and 55. Uh, he brings two Old Testament passages and puts them together. Um, he quotes um, Hosea 13, 14 where God says, I shall ransom them forever. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. Oh, death, where is your plague? Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Simple fact, God has ransomed us from the power of death forever. He does it in a really cool way, too, because death thinks it has us. We still die, um, and so God kind of plays a trick on death. We still die, and death grabs a hold of us, and it thinks, yes, I got him. I got him. I'm going to win. Takes us to the grave, and then we rise, and it sees that it failed. It's like, no, no, I had him. I had him in my hand, and they got pulled out of my hand. He shames death publicly by making us rise from the dead. And secondly, he brings together Isaiah 25, 6 through 8. I read this passage at a lot of gravesides because I love it so much. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. God is going to swallow up death forever. And he's going to prepare an eternal feast for his people. All his enemies are going to be defeated. When Jesus returns, he stomps the life out of all of them. You want, you want to read more about that? Read Revelation 20. He's going to defeat Satan, first of all. That old liar, that serpent, the one who from the beginning has been in red-hot pursuit against God. He's wrecked havoc on the world. He's wrecked havoc everywhere. He's going to be cast into the lake of fire. It's finally going to be over, and he's never going to get out. He will never be able to harm anyone ever again. He'll defeat all those on earth who have rejected him for so long. After he defeats Satan, he has the judgment. He brings up everybody, and you have to um, pass through judgment. If you have the blood of the lamb on you, you pass through successfully. If you don't, you get judged by your works and destroyed. The sad part is those enemies that he will defeat on that day, he still loves them. He still loves those who hate him. 
Don't you think for a minute that Jesus looks at Vladimir Putin and says, I'm going to squash that little nitwit in the dirt. No, Jesus created Vladimir Putin. He wants him to be saved and come into his kingdom, but Putin continues to reject it. And Jesus will give Putin way more time than he deserves. If Putin rejects Jesus for too long, Jesus in his love will finally give Putin exactly what he wants, and that is eternity without him for all of his days. The enemies of God are God's enemies, but he still loves them. And in his love, he gives them exactly what they want forever. Eternity separated from him, and it will be dreadful. This is what judgment day will be. Everyone will be resurrected from the grave, and those who are saved by God's grace, not their works, will receive eternal life. And those who rejected Christ will go to hell with the devil. And then the final enemy will be defeated. Look back in 1 Corinthians 15 at verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death itself is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Death will be swallowed up. The one who has swallowed up people for all of history is going to get swallowed up himself forever. Just like that other song we sang, there will be no parting there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain. Rather, God prepares an eternal banquet for his people where death is no more. It's eternal victory, and it's here. God has given the victory over death in Jesus Christ. What is that victory? Well, it's not just the defeat of death. It's the living of life. It is living life as it was meant to be lived. We get to live in perfect fellowship in a world created by God that we are to be in. Read Revelation 21 and 22, and you'll get to see that world. Um, come on Wednesday nights. We're, we're walking really slowly through those chapters right now to look at all of what that's going to be. I don't have time to read the entire chapters here, but, but the point of those chapters is to show the newly created earth that we will live on after Jesus comes. We don't live far away in heaven forever and God just wipes the earth from existence. No, God will bring heaven down to earth and marry the two together and we will live on an earth, but, but, but it will be resurrected just as Jesus was and just as we are. It'll be like the Garden of Eden where man walked with God and everything was as it should be. It'll be like the Holy of Holies in the temple where God will dwell in it everywhere. And, but you won't have to be a priest to walk in there once a year. You'll get to live there forever and not die. We usually describe heaven in either one of two ways. It's an eternal feast or an eternal worship service. It's not either of those things. The, those are images that help us understand the reality of it. We will worship there, and we will feast there. But, but the Bible tells us what that, what it, the Bible doesn't tell us what it will be like day to day. But from what it does tell us, it will be like life on earth, but free from sin and in perfect fellowship with God. We will worship him, we will feast, we will fellowship, and we will live life exactly as it was supposed to be lived. We will live in eternal joy and fellowship of a perfect feast and a perfect worship service. This will be the victory over death. Revelation 21 and 22 says that the, of that city, the gates are always open. Why are the gates always open? Well, in the ancient world, you kept gates on your walls of the city to keep out enemies. There's no enemies to keep out. They're all gone forever. It's safe and secure 
and it's peaceful because all of God's enemies have been defeated. In light of that, Paul tells us how to live now. Verse 58. He's just told this glorious truth about the resurrection that is coming, and he tells us then how to live now because we're not there yet. What do we do now? Well, let let me just read the verse again. My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In light of the great truth of the future, how do we live now? We could live like the good majority of American Christians do, just kick back, not thinking about eternity because I've got my fire insurance at one point and so I'm set to go living my life for me here and now. But I think if if that's how you live, that's evidence you don't actually believe in that future because you're living your life like this is all there is and you got to enjoy every minute of it because it's going to come to an end one day and there's nothing afterwards. Paul says, in light of the resurrection of the dead that is coming, we live in three ways. He gives three commands. First of all, be steadfast. That is, continue faithful to Jesus until the end. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Keep going. All of this is not for nothing. Eternity is coming and it will arrive. Don't give up thinking it was all for nothing. Secondly, be immovable. Immovable. It creates this idea of planting yourself on the ground and not letting anything move you from that spot. Don't compromise the word of God. So many Christians today compromise the word of God and what it says because they want to be accepted by the world. So they will deny what the Bible says about the sinfulness of man or Jesus being the only way to God or what it says about marriage or gender or life or race or sexual purity or uh, wife submission or God's sovereignty over even terrible things. They'll, They'll deny those truths because in the world's eyes it makes them look bad. If we deny those things, the world will accept us. But why do you want the world to accept you? It's because you believe this is all there is. You you believe this world is all there is. That eternity isn't coming. That if my life here now is painful and not all that I want it to be, I miss out. You don't miss out. You've got a forever of joy coming. If that means... I get hated for what I preach about sexual purity, so be it. You cannot take the resurrection of the dead from me. Hate me all you want. I have nothing but endless joy waiting for me after the grave. We plant ourselves on who God is and on what God says, and we do not move because we have eternal joy waiting for us. We're not a jerk about what we believe, but we do not compromise what we believe even if it hurts. And finally, we're always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the, that, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We always abound in work for the Lord. We do not stop working for Jesus until we die. So the temptation can be for some of us that we'll serve Jesus for a portion of our life, And then when we get to retirement age or when we're not physically able anymore or whatever, we will retire. You you may retire from your career, that's fine, but we don't retire from God's kingdom. 
Now, we change how we serve in God's kingdom, certainly, because there comes a point when you can't run around the gym with kids anymore. I get that. I get that. But there's plenty of other things you can do. And I'm so thankful so many of you here who are no longer physically able to run around the gym with kids still serve the Lord and still serve others. You write cards, you visit people, you call, you serve, you cook, you love, you do so many wonderful things. Don't stop. Always abound in his work, knowing that your labor is not in vain. This is not all for nothing. We have eternity waiting for us. What else could we possibly give our lives to than him? We labor now, looking ahead to the day when our salvation will be fully accomplished in the resurrection from the dead. This is the hope of our salvation. We have dug deep into what salvation is for nine weeks now. When you're converted through repenting of your sins and believing the gospel, God does a work in you in that moment and from then on out. He unites you with Christ. He regenerates you, giving you a new heart. He baptizes you with his Holy Spirit. He adopts you into his family. He fully justifies you in the courtroom of heaven, forgiving all your sin to the uttermost. He begins the sanctifying work of helping you put your old life to death and growing into Christ's likeness. He keeps you in his love forever. And at the last day, he will raise your lifeless body from the grave, unite your soul and your body back together, and establish you in his presence and kingdom forever and ever. What a joy this salvation is. Do you have that salvation? The one we've looked at for the last few weeks? Is that the salvation you have? There is no other salvation. If that's not what you have, you don't have it at all. And you're on the road to hell. Christ has died for your sins, and he's risen from the dead, defeating all his enemies forever. If you want to be saved, you must repent of your sins and believe this good news, the gospel, in such a way that you entrust your life to it. You must leave your old life behind and follow Jesus. Have you done that? If you haven't, come talk to me. We're going to have a response time now. If you can enter, you, you can enter this eternal joy and know Christ for the rest of forever if you just come to Jesus, but you must come. He will not give it to every single person, only those who repent and believe. Have you done that? Let's pray. Father, what glorious days we have to look forward to. Lord, forgive us for living our lives in such a way where, where it's just always bad news and always a bad existence, just something to complain about. We have the most glorious days ahead of us. The, the best days are not in the past, they're in the future. And we long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. We're waiting for you. But Lord, you haven't come yet because you're still giving lost sinners a chance to repent. You're still sounding trumpets, calling them to repent. You have not sounded the last one yet. And so, Lord, I pray that as you blast your trumpets out into the world, sinners would hear and repent and come to Jesus, that you would give them eternal joy and eternal life forever. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be here at the front.